Welcome to the Sip and Feast podcast. Why are people so passionate about their sauce? So Tara, I had an amazing time making episode one and two. So episode one has already been published. And I think part of the reason why I said I had an amazing time is because the response was really, really good. What do you think about that? I agree. I had fun recording the first episode, but definitely went into it you know, a little bit leery, wondering if our viewers would listen to the podcast or enjoy the podcast. So um, happy to have read through all the comments, even though if we haven't responded to the comments, we've, we've read through them. I've, I've looked at all the emails that have come in. And for the most part, the feedback has been positive and uh, folks seem to be pretty excited about listening to us, which is kind of shocking. <laughs> So when we say viewers, we simply mean the YouTube audience, which we're no longer going to specifically address, but mm -hmm. we will just say that's the bulk of our of our audience. There's a lot of subs on our YouTube channel. So they were the ones that a couple people right away were like, what the hell are you doing, Jim? Yeah. Well, exactly what I said. They They came in and they said right away. Or like some people were like, you really don't know, like, we really don't need this. Yeah, somebody said, who asked for this? Yeah, who asked for this crap? <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to go off on a tangent with YouTube, but, you know, the, the viewership was drastically down compared to a normal video, but at the same time, the engagement was up, up substantially compared to a normal mm -hmm. video. So it's almost like people are watching the other ones, not responding, not commenting, getting their fix, and then moving on with this one, Obviously, about half of, half of the normal viewership, or, or less, maybe a third. But of those viewers, they really, really enjoyed it. And then it then it further went on to to uh, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And by the way, guys, again, last time I'm going to be talking about the dichotomy between these audiences, but um, because we're 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 talking to you like you're listening in the car, which is my preferred way to listen to to consume a podcast, regardless. Mine too. I I actually don't prefer to, to watch a podcast. I'd rather listen to it while I'm driving or multitasking. Part of the reason is when you're consuming YouTube, so like the, the saying goes, people consume TikTok or Instagram in the bathroom. Mm -hmm. They consume YouTube maybe when they're like on an airport line, um, you know, waiting for the subway. And they consume a podcast when they're doing something for a long period of time. Maybe they're cooking dinner. That's when I typically consume the podcasts that I listen to. Mm -hmm. I love to, yeah, but even if you're like a fast cook, it's probably going to take you roughly an hour to cook, to cook any dish. Don't believe those under 30 minute recipes, guys. They're all a lie. We have a lot of under 30 minute recipes on our website. So don't say that. We, there are definitely recipes you can make in under 30 minutes. We really, and again, when I say we, I mean more so myself because I'm the predominant recipe writer on the site and Tara is the predominant writer guys, just so you know the, the the difference. But she knows everything that's going on in the recipe really well, but I am typically the ones who write it. And I really do try to adhere to timing and w with the eye on mind of like a novice cook, not someone who can like, who want a competition in like speed dicing onions or something like that. Mm -hmm. Like I really do try to say the prep takes 10 minutes. No, I don't try to go overboard with the under 30. I mean, there are whole websites that like every recipe is like 30 minutes and that's just completely unrealistic. Mm -hmm. Unless you're like opening prepackaged stuff. Yeah. You're, you're smiling at me because I'm going on a tangent. <laughs> yes. 
there will be there will be some of that guys and but hopefully tower will always point me towards true north that's right so what is true north I'm gonna, today i'm gonna reel you in now this episode is about why people are so passionate about their sauce you know their tomato sauce or their sunday sauce um, this is really in response to a comment that we received on, I think it was the first jarred sauce taste test. And the person said, I can't help but to scratch my head. This sort of passion about tomato sauce is a little hard to understand. I grab a Classico and I don't devote more than 20 seconds to the decision. So Jim, why? I like that comment. I like that question. Uh, it's not a question. I mean, it's a question that you formed, but I like that comment by that viewer. Mm -hmm. I think I think I'm the one who spotted that. Right? That was a while yes. back, right? Yes. I love that comment because yeah, that was for our jarred sauce taste test, uh, which people were highly critical and opinionated about if we rated their favorite sauce low, or if, then if we rated their sauce high, they were like they they. It's almost like they got approval then. Mm -hmm. And guys. Again, I'm just going to keep falling on the trope always for the rest of my life. I am not a professional chef. No, and we are not professional taste testers. Neither is our son. <laughs> the professional taste test industry, going off a tangent again here, is kind of a joke. There's been a lot of studies on wine tasters where they would give them like, they would set them up saying, these are two $80 bottles of wine. Or no, this is an $80 bottle of wine. This is a really cheap bottle of wine, but they reversed them. Mm -hmm. And then the tasters, sommeliers, would always get it mm -hmm. wrong. They also did where they dyed the white wine red and mm -hmm. told told the people, you're drinking a white here and you're drinking a red. Yeah. Stuff like that. It fools people every time. Yeah, And I think the order in which you taste the, the wine or the, in our case, the sauce, <laughs> um, that does, you know, have bearing on, on your opinion. Huge bearing, and we did do an extra, vir uh, extra virgin olive oil taste test that we filmed. It hasn't been published yet, and that was a really tough one for the two of us. It, it really it threw hard. us for a loop. Yeah. But let's get back to, and that one will be published, guys, but yeah. let's get back to this sauce question. So, Jim, can you answer this viewer's question? Why are people so passionate about their tomato sauce? And when I say people or when this person asked the question, I... In my mind, I'm thinking they're referring to Italian-Americans yes. as being passionate about their sauce. So, so what's the deal with that? I think they're, I think they're referring to that again. And th again, that's what we talk about. Par partly my, my you know, quick opinion would be simply people who immigrated here, Red Sauce Fair took over the majority of what they talked about, the food they made. And hence, you know, they had an abundance. So they made a lot of meatballs cooked in red sauce. They just had... A disproportionate, uh, it, the tomato itself had a disproportionate effect on, on them, and it's not that they don't eat other types of food, but that's the majority of the food that they eat, which is southern southern Italian. And then, so so essentially, I think that that became like their identity, almost the family's identity. I mean, you can look at the Godfather when you know they're making the food and. You know, Al Pacino, uh, what was it, Clemenza, I think. Mm -hmm. He was like, had the can of Progresso, and they're making the sauce. See, I, I think, you know what? I I've think. seen The Godfather probably hundreds of times, and I actually don't remember seeing a can of Progresso. Maybe but I'm wrong then. No, I mean, no, you could absolutely be right. Um, I think 
the sauce preparation scene that comes to my mind. Goodfellas. Is Goodfellas yeah. when they're, you know, yeah. in prison. and So Goodfellas just basically just sauce. copied The Godfather yeah. again yeah. and did it. And in addition to that, I'm, I don't know if you remember at the end of, of Goodfellas or towards the end, um, the day that Henry is getting stalked by the helicopter, he keeps telling his little brother, Oh, yeah, stir you got to start a sauce. Yeah, so yeah. what is it? He start yeah. to the left. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I think, <laughs> I mean, I think you're right. It kind of helped shape the identity of, of some families and, you know, the it, secret is in the sauce, right? It definitely did. And people, yeah, I mean, that's like, people will, def like, they'll say, like, I can't give you my recipe. It's a, it's a family secret. And we, we don't do anything like that. We're all about sharing all of our secrets and our recipes. You should never do that, in my opinion. That would, that's that's ridiculous. Like, what are you what are you holding on? What are you gonna people? They'll, they'll die with it. You know, they won't even pass it on to yeah. their children. Well, a lot of the comments that we get um, are from younger younger people saying that their nona or their grandma or their mother would make the sauce, but wouldn't share her recipe with them, and now she's passed on, and they can't figure out how to make it, but they find your recipes and it's, you know, almost spot on to how their, their Nona used to make it. That's funny. Well, I try, I think the food that I make specifically represents the food that a lot of people in the New York, New Jersey area make. It's like a good starting point. I think if you were trying, like if you were coming, if you weren't from here and you were to come here, uh, I think that if you went to a lot of restaurants and then you were to have my food, you would you would just see that huge similarity. So for better or worse, a lot of restaurants up until relatively recently were pretty much putting out the same type of food, kind of copying each other. Like if you look at the menu of, you can go down the list of any any good Italian restaurant except for the re, quote unquote real, Ita real Italian restaurants. And those real Italian restaurants are very new. They're, and they're, they're, I mean, obviously they appear every few years. You can look at Rayo's menu and then you can go look at Carmine's menu and then you can look at La Parma, La Parma in Long Island yeah. or, or a Pico La Bussola, or you can look at um, Tony DiNapoli or Il Milino. There's a massive amount of overlap in all these menus mm -hmm. and because that's what people want. And that's what they had when they, when they were making it in the Godfather and mm -hmm. which represent which is a very long time ago now. So yeah, the food. And then, so the sauce took on in the culture. It was like, if you had a good sauce, like, yeah, it was something worth keeping secret and hiding and mm -hmm. not letting the other Nona down the block in on in on the secret. Yeah. I remember my grandmother would do that. They would, they would exchange the recipes and they would like, it was like, it was almost like a competition thing. And we see it now all the time in, on our Facebook page. Did your grandma use recipes or did she just kind of like wing it and make it different each time? She, so like for certain things like sauce, when I'm talking about sauce here, I'm talking about Sunday sauce or what she would call Sunday gravy, which which maybe it's important to back up here and just, because I think, I think this is lost on a lot of people who aren't that knowledgeable on the subject. Yeah. Marinara is, in Italy is a seafaring sauce. So it's that's where the word originates from. And then they would take it. So they would take a sauce basically composed of tomato, olive oil, basil, a little bit of garlic, sometimes onion, very, very simple. And that's what they would have on the ship. It's not about seafood. Mm -hmm. So people get it confused. They think like, that's what it means. No, it's yeah. not a seafood sauce. Yeah. It's 
So marinara, and then, so a marinara essentially means a very quick sauce. I call it, I call it marinara or I call it quick sauce or I call it a flash sauce. And the way I make it is I do it quick in the pan. I'll typically take a can of whole tomatoes, like, you know, you can use San Marzano, but you don't have to. And I'll just crush them by hand. And then I'll take a coat, I'll take a coat, the bottom amount of olive oil, extra virgin olive oil, a lot of garlic. I like to slice it. And then maybe a little bit of hot red pepper flakes, put the tomatoes in there and then just season with salt, pepper, simmer it until a lot of the water evaporates, you know, so it's not so liquidy. That's it. Finish with basil. Mm -hmm. Make your pasta. It's a 15 minute affair. The other sauce on the opposite side of the spectrum would be Sunday sauce or Sunday gravy. That is a long cooked sauce that has meat in it. Mm-hmm. So you walk into Uncle Giuseppe's here locally, which is an Italian supermarket, which is a very weird thing for anybody who lives any other part of America. It's not a, they think of like, when they think of a store, they think of it like a little specialty store. Now this is a whole supermarket devoted, mm-hmm. that's the size of a regular supermarket devoted to um, Italian food. And I, I use them as an example because it's a good representation of how you can actually open a store like that and and succeed here yeah. because you have so many people that love Italian food. Mm-hmm. But anyway, if you go there and you go down the aisles, you can find a meatball mix. It will just be labeled meatball mix. And typically that will be equal parts veal, pork, and beef. And then you also see Sunday sauce or Sunday gravy mix. Mm-hmm. And what does that normally have in there? That's usually like brajol, right? And, and a few other things sausages and meatballs. So all this stuff is already made for Mm -hmm. people. So it's like they go there, they wanna like act like they're still cooking, but they're picking up the Mm ready-made ingredients. You you also see brajol meat. So it'll just be labeled meat for brajol. Brajol, This is an odd experience to I think people in other states. Mm -hmm. They're never gonna, you're not gonna be in like another state and seeing like meat, meat for brajol. It's a a weird thing, but it's so common here Mm -hmm. because so many people make it. Uh, you'll even have like, um, I think I'm saying it right, cotone, which is the pork skin. So that's for the pork brajol. And that's like really old school. But all of that stuff would go in Sunday sauce or Sunday gravy. Mm-hmm. Those would be, and then in addition to other things, you know, you would have country ribs. You can do. I like the country ribs. Really that's good, one of my right? favorites for a Sunday sauce. So that's like the typical stuff. And again, like everybody's family's recipe will will vary a little bit. But the, the things that it has in common is it's heavy on meat. Some people will put red wine in it. Mine is heavy on onion. I don't even put garlic in it. Mm-hmm. And we get so many comments about this. Yeah, We get a ton of comments about the garlic issue. They say, where's the garlic? I say the garlic is in is in the marinara, <laughs> bro. But that's how you make it. Exactly, right? that's, and that's how I make it. That's how you make it. So if you wanna put garlic in your Sunday sauce, you can. If you wanna put onion in your marinara sauce, you can, but this is the way, this is the way you do it. It's the way I do it, but also you know how many times I will alter recipes. And yeah. that's like you said, like, does my grandma always make it the same? No, she would, mm-hmm. and that's the thing. Nobody will always make it the same because sometimes you're in a meatball mood. Mm-hmm. Sometimes like you go to the store and they got really good sausage. So mm-hmm. you're like, oh, like A&S pork store, okay? Yeah. That's my favorite, talking about all these places for Long Island yeah. people will recognize these names. ANS is in Massapequa. And there's a couple other locations, I believe. I think, yeah, I think there are. But the one we used to go to, that's where it was, or it is. So Massapequa is a heavy Italian area in Long Island. They call it Matza Pizza, right? That's like, <laughs> that's the name for it. And it 
has, we used to live in Farmingdale, which was very close to there. So uh, we would hop over and you would take a ticket, like the old school tickets, mm -hmm. and you would get in line and you'd go up to the register and you'd spend like $300 before you got out yeah. of the place getting whatever you needed. So you could get everything there to make your whole Sunday meal, but then you could get all your cold cuts. Get your antipasto. They had a ton mm. of sausage though. They had about 12 Their different types. Their sausage was so good. My favorite was the broccoli robin yes. provolone. Oh, Same. So, so good. Yeah. Those, so, I mean, I know there's places out here. We, we typically just go to um, stores that make it more convenient for us now to make make the videos for you guys. We can't be running around to to every place. Also, our perspective has changed on it because we're tr we're talking to an audience worldwide. We're not right. talking to people just yeah, just here. Not, we we recognize that not everybody can access, you know, those ingredients that are, you know, kind of easier to find in the New York, New Jersey, Connecticut metro area. Yeah. And other small pockets maybe of the country. That essentially is the two sauces, mm -hmm. the, the opposite sides of the spectrum. And then you have all different other so sauces. So my, my question for you, because you said those are the two types of sauces. Yeah, I mean, obviously we're, we're not gonna talk about, you know, Alfredo or, or vodka sauce or anything else right now, but there is one other tomato-based sauce that I am hoping maybe you could just touch on a little Which bit. One? And that's pizza, pizza oh, sauce. Oh, pizza, okay. So that's, it. pizza sauce is, typically no nothing in it. So you will see brands that sell quote unquote pizza sauce, but pizza sauce, the way that nine out of 10 or not nine out of 10, more like 97 out of a hundred pizza places here in the New York area will, the sauce they use will just be tomatoes with a little bit of salt, oregano sometimes, but oregano often will go on at the end before mm -hmm. the pizza comes out of the oven for like the last minute. And it's not cooked. It's not cooked. Yeah, the tomatoes right. themselves. So it gives a much fresher taste mm -hmm. to it because all it's being cooked is when it's in the oven. Mm -hmm. I remember one time, it was when you were preparing the pizza series that you so lovingly delved right into. But I remember I you had a sauce sitting on the table and I just like took a taste of it. And I was like, what is this? It's so good. And you were like, it's just tomatoes and a little bit of, of salt. So if you guys are you know curious for the tomatoes, the the tomato brand that, that most pizzerias use here is called Stanislaus. So it's from Stanislaus County in California. I believe so. The name is Stanislaus. I think there's a Stanislaus County. I hope there is. Does that sound right? Is there? So anyway, I'm going to go with that. And the tomatoes, they have about, oh, they have a lot of different types of tomatoes. And they serve... Am yes. Right. Okay. See, I'm right. See, I don't just talk out of my... And I'm like, you know what, you know? Um, so I've been, I've used their tomatoes for a while and they have all different types. They have like 7-Eleven, which is a, you know, particular blend. They have Alto Cucina, which are whole tomatoes. They have um, Saporito, which is like a thicker puree. They have a lot of different types and restaurants, Italian restaurants will typically use their Alto Cucina, which are whole plum tomatoes. But all these tomatoes though are American tomatoes. I don't know the exact numbers. I have a friend who owns a restaurant. Um, and I, I, I'm pretty sure they use Stanislaus, but 
It's there's not a lot of other brands that really compete in that space. And so they also kind of own that pizzeria market. There are a couple other brands too. They use those tomatoes and they just, they're really good. If you taste those tomatoes raw, like Tara did, you will taste a New York pizza mm-hmm. immediately. Yeah, exactly. That's what it tasted like. Yeah. So that's actually a good segue into one of my other questions for you. Um, you said these are all American <laughs> grown tomatoes. Yeah, they so, are. Um, you know, we, we recently did a video on the DOP, you know, a certified Italian. So people, a lot of people were saying, what is DOP? What is DOP, Tara? Uh, <laughs> hold on. It's denominazione something. I said it like so many times in the video and then people were like, well, what does DOP mean? It's denominazione d'origine protetta. Protetta. Uh, uh, yeah. protected so area. It, and I, I'm probably butchering that. I only took Italian for one semester in college. So I, I do apologize to those people who speak <laughs> Italian for me butchering your language. But yes, it means protected designation of origin. As far as like we did that test and actually the American tomatoes won, but it wasn't it wasn't the best design test. Guys, like all of our tests are not the best design tests. They're more for entertainment than, you know, it's not like I got like like a spectrometer or something and I'm like telling you the acidity levels and sodium content and I'm making up the word. I don't even know what a spectrometer is, but you get you get my <laughs> you get my drift here, guys. Anybody who's like and, and, and I'm just going to say this flat out, like I did, like it can, I guess you can do a little bit more analysis here. When I was making this video, I watched um, the Ethan Shabowski video, which it was like 28 minutes. He did an amazing job. It made me tired because people asked me after we made that video, Tara, they were like, did you see the, I was like, oh my God, how long did that take him to make? He had like a box cut out with numbers and he was taking a straw to each tomato and he was going over texture and so anyway, if you want to, if you want a more scientific analysis, I would recommend go watch his video. If you want, like, I guess more of like the the quick and dirty fun one, <laughs> watch watch ours. It actually the American brand Sclafani ended up beating a San Marzano brand. Mm-hmm, that's right. The Sclafani had a lot more salt in it. Like I looked at the can in the video, and it was like it had like ten times the amount of salt in the other one. I I, I honestly think that was probably well. Didn't you try to adjust? the salt to kind of bring up the salinity. I did. It didn't work. And I think um, my experience always with San Marzano tomatoes, and when I'm talking San Marzano, guys, I'm talking DOP, like legit. Now, you can go off on a tangent here and say, is anything legit? I honestly question the whole industry completely because it's a tiny part of Italy, Mm -hmm. yet you can buy 19 different brands of San Marzano tomatoes anywhere in the New York, New Jersey area. Yeah. It doesn't It doesn't work out. Well, I think somebody had mentioned that Stanley Tucci addressed it also. I didn't I didn't watch that episode, so I, I can't say for sure, but did, did you did hear he, is that? that? Was that what was claimed that he said they're not real? That it's a, it is a, a small region. It's too small of a region to produce the amount of tomatoes that claim to come out of the region. And that's funny. Like a lot of times you'll see people arguing about the different tomatoes they might all be arguing over fake tomatoes anyway. What math does work are getting really good American tomatoes, and we just named two of them. Another mm-hmm. one people talk about is Bianco de Napoli, which I've tried a few times, but they're not they're not readily available here in New York. We always try to buy the brands that people will be able to find on shelves here. 
And that's another discussion is how much these brands probably fight it out to get store, to get shelf space here in mm-hmm. where we live because it's so lucrative to them to have that space. And other some brands just have so much, take up so much space like Cento, it just had, you know, pretty much anywhere you go, they have the lot, right? Would you agree? They have yeah, the largest amount of, sure. of space. Yeah, yeah. By far. So I don't know if that means that they have a lot of shelf space in other states. But here here in Long Island specifically, whether you're going anywhere, except for Whole Foods. If you go to Whole Foods, Whole Foods is Amazon. They do their own thing. But if you go to any of the supermarkets, it will be uh, Cento, the biggest the biggest amount of shelf space. And that's not just for tomatoes, that's for other other ingredients too. And then it will go down the list uh, for to a whole bunch of other ones that are competing. When, when it comes to pasta, DiCecco has the largest amount of shelf space by far. Would you agree with that? I would say DiCecco and maybe Barilla have equal amount of space. Now, when you're making sauce, whether it's marinara or sundae sauce, do you have a preference for the crushed, passata, whole tomatoes? You know, can you go into that a little bit? Yeah. And maybe if you have one that you'd use for marinara and one that you'd use for Sunday sauce or. So, uh, very quickly, like crushed tomatoes are really good for a lot of uses. And, you know, years ago, a lot of people wouldn't want to buy them because they were saying, like, oh, it's the bad parts of the tomato. Yeah. You, know, you don't know if you have a finger in there. I remember or hearing stories yeah. like, oh, you don't. I, I think it was from somebody who actually yeah, exactly. <laughs> came from Italy. Yeah, so <laughs> said you don't want to. Uh, and that was like, that really like just but made, put that bias on me forever. Yeah. I could never get past that point. Me I'm too. like, so I never used to buy crushed tomatoes. Mm-hmm. I only really started buying them when we had, when we started the website because I'm like, you know what? I need to. I need to branch out and have ingredients that don't cost $6 a can yeah. for everybody. Yeah. And it's easier. It's easier. And 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 I will say, say, guys, like there are a couple really good crushed tomatoes, Sclafani crushed, Cento all-purpose. They're really good and they're very inexpensive. So those are two that make, make a great sauce and they also make excellent pizza sauce. So then as far as the other tomatoes, you have whole plum tomatoes, and those could be either American-grown or Italian. Then you can get into San Marzano, which the sticker, uh, the price will be much higher. Then you have Passata, okay, which is normally is a, a lot of times other American companies will call it tomato puree. The Italian companies will label it Passata. It's the same thing. Uh, it's thick. It's almost like ready to go, almost. It makes a, You can make a sauce extremely quickly with it. Are there certain sauces that you would use passata for specifically? So when I did the the recent spaghetti and meatballs I did, I didn't want to have to cook a sauce for a long time. So mm-hmm. I, I used a combination of the passata. And honestly, a lot of it is just like, I'm like, I need to, I always, I, I, I the video that we actually have coming out this week, which is the baked lasagna pie, I did a little different too. That was a meat sauce. And I said in the video, I'm like, you know, I'm doing things different for you guys to show you all different ways you can come out, come, come up with the same result, like a mm-hmm. good result. Or a good result. Like yeah. I always yeah. like I always like to show people there is no right way to do it. A lot of our competitors are making videos and making, especially like making recipes like on websites that are saying it must have this ingredient, this ingredient, that ingredient. If you don't follow everything I'm saying, your recipe will be bad. That is a hundred percent incorrect. I and I've, you know, I reject that. I just I I don't like it. It puts people it really turns 
new cooks off. They think like, I can't make this because I can't get this ingredient. It's mm-hmm. so pretentious is it really what it comes down to. Like you're not running a three-star Michelin restaurant here. You're, you're making food for your family. Mm-hmm. That's what you're doing. Yeah. And I notice, you know, going on a little tangent here, the, the more critical comments we get come from younger, younger, mostly men who I think who are starting their cooking journey. They're in their early 20s. They read a Reddit thread. They go on Reddit cooking, uh, which is like this subreddit thing. And they and they get really, they want to do everything right. They might have their first apartment. They're trying to impress like a date and uh, or their parents are coming over for the first time. And they're like, I, I mean, you see these threads all the time. Like I read a lot of Reddit guys. I don't really contribute that much. Like I'm kind of like this innocent, like uh, I'm like this 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 bystander, mm-hmm. you know, but I love reading you're a lot like of a these lurker. threads. I'm a learner. Well, I'm a lurker. Lurker. I'm a lurker. (laughs) Yeah, I'm a lurker too. I'm a lurker and a learner. I like to learn from how how they think. But but yeah, they they tend to be the more opinionated ones. They they might watch like a video from from another cooking channel, and that video they come into our they come on our in our comment section, and they're Mm -hmm. like they're like you didn't do the onion first. The recipe's ruined. Mm -hmm. I'm like, well, what are you talking about here? You know what what are you what are you saying? Mm -hmm. I'm like, if you don't believe me, go make it make it both ways and see what happens, you yeah. know? Yep. You learn by doing. They, That's true. If you learn by watching only, you're you're only getting part of the equation. You have to, whatever I show you, you're not gonna know really 100% if it works and if gym is full of crap, unless you actually make it yourself and if you get good results. That's the ultimate proof. That is it. Because people can edit, guys. They can make everything look different. Unless they're going live, and there, and that's a hard, that's a hard one. That's why most cooking YouTubers don't do it. That's that would show you the real results. But the magic of editing, as Tara knows, as we're speaking here right now on this podcast, you know, if I if my stomach growls, I can just leave that part out. <laughs> that never happens. It's happened like ten times already. <laughs> it's like yes. I didn't I didn't eat before this. I should have. <laughs> All right, so we talked about, you know, the different types of tomatoes, but there's also tomato paste. When would you use tomato paste? You know, would you use it to supplement? Like how how do you use tomato paste in in your recipes? So tomato paste is great. It's a great ingredient. And that was another thing in the tomato uh, jarred sauce taste test that people were saying, they're like, oh, it had paste in it, it's ruined. That is 100% false. A lot of those food, a lot of those jarred sauces that weren't good, they had tomato juice in it. Now, listen, it could be bad tomato paste and then it will ruin the recipe, but tomato paste is such a useful ingredient. Mm-hmm. I use it often. I mean, I'll give you an example. You can make a quick sauce with body very easily if you were to like do your garlic or your onions and then put the tomato paste in there and fry that paste for about five minutes. You could use half a can. A standard can in America is always six ounces. I always recommend buying cans instead of tubes. Tubes are too small. You don't get enough of it. It's a waste. It's a waste. You're wasting your money. It's like $3 for a little tube. You can go to Costco and buy 12 cans for for seven bucks. That's right. But you start with like three ounces of it, fry that up, then add your your hand-crushed plum tomatoes, then you will have a sauce, maybe a little anchovy too, a little mm-hmm. anchovy in there that really nice. The anchovy and the paste, they both will increase the body yeah. of your sauce. I hate using that word umami. I, I hate that word because it's like, it's like again, it's like one of those like 
It's like a trendy trendy word. word to say. It's just like fond. And but I, guys, I'm I just said it. You know how much <laughs> I hate that word. You go on Reddit. It's like fond this, fond that, fond like remove the fond. Do like what are you talking about, bro? <laughs> like it gets like just it's brown bits. That's yeah. all you're doing. Umami doesn't give me the bad feeling that fond gives me. I don't mind umami. I feel like it's. I, I understand where you're coming from. It is kind of like a trendy word that you hear now that we probably didn't hear back when we were in high school. But um, I think it's a good descriptive word for when is. you're trying to find, you know, some some words don't exist in the English language. You know, there are words for certain feelings and we can't, you know, articulate it so using I said, English. I said so I increase use, the body. So we use, yeah. Uh, you're right. Yeah. Okay. All right. Let's, we'll give them umami. Yeah. But fond... No way. Yeah. I just said it more times in this in this episode than, than I probably yeah. said it in in the 250 fond, videos. Fond, fond, fond. Oh, fond, fond, God. Fond. <laughs> <You> know, like, <laughs> like, meet the parents. So as you were talking about paste, I was actually, you know, thinking back. Um, one of the best sauces I've ever had or one of the best meals I, I had um, that someone made for me, it was um, one of my friends, her dad, made incredible sauce. And I think his his family was from Sicily, from Taramina uh, specifically, but he only used paste. Only paste? Only paste. And he actually taught us one day how to make it and he would fry the paste yeah. for, for a, it seemed like a long time. Yeah. Maybe it wasn't that long. No, probably But he been. would fry the paste and then he would add water. I think he would add red wine, although I'm I can't remember, but you know, and then after that, he would, you know, add the meat into the sauce and just let it cook. But that was his Sunday sauce. It was only paste. Only paste the whole and Sunday sauce? Yes. With that? Wow, and that's... It was... I, I'm telling you... I think they might do it. Was it was delicious. So I think they might do this in Sicily because I've watched videos of them preparing paste and the amount of paste they make. And this is like for a family, mm -hmm. not, not a company. Like, what are they doing with all this? So, yeah, they probably do use a lot of it and... Maybe in that manner. I mean, I personally wouldn't do that for like a Sunday sauce, but it's it definitely sounds worth trying. Definitely. I mean, it, it would coat good. the pasta really well. Yeah, it was delicious. Those are basically the cans of tomatoes. Yeah. Now, now there's some other types of like niche products. You have like chopped tomatoes. You can find canned cherry tomatoes. Mm -hmm. Like Dattarini. Which, yeah, right? yeah, which are really nice. Mm -hmm. But those are still just regular, they're regular tomatoes. Those are kind of the tomatoes. I'm, I know if I'm missing something, I, I'm in a, I'm sure I might be, but it's partly because I always like kind of grab the same products every time. When would you use fresh tomatoes? So fresh tomatoes. This is this is another one. We'll, we'll get we'll get a good amount of people coming into the comments. Not a good amount, but I would say not not an not an un. There are some, and they'll be like, oh, nothing. Those canned tomatoes are horrible compared to fresh tomatoes. So again, that's just not correct. The companies that are picking these tomatoes that are fresh and putting them in a can, they're picking them at peak freshness. If you have a job and you have something else to do besides tend to your tomato garden like eight hours a day, you're gonna be better off using canned tomatoes. Mm -hmm. they are, they're picking them when they're ultra ripe. They're like just about to burst. If you've grown tomatoes and you have a garden and and we do guard we do we do a good amount of gardening here um it's not the same it's not as good now what you can do with those tomatoes you grow 
is get them to peak ripeness and then can them yourself. That's right. A lot of Italian-American families do that. It's kind of a tradition. In fact, I remember one morning, same same friend I mentioned earlier, um, I had slept at her place. We had gone out the night before to a bar or something. She lived in Astoria, Queens, and it was really early the next morning. And I think we had had a little too much to drink. But I remember waking up to the a weird sound and I didn't know what it was. And I looked out the window and there was an entire family in the backyard and they were milling their tomatoes and canning them and prepping them. They were using and the big, um, yes, the big like tomato a mill. giant tomato mill. And that was the sound that I was hearing, but I was like, what is that? But it was fascinating to watch. I, I sat there and I watched them for a while and it looked like such a warm, like I kind of almost wanted to jump out of bed and invite myself to to go and and help them so they were making I didn't but they were they were canning their own or jarring i should say their own tomatoes well if they were using a mill so they were making posada they were making i and, guess so. and typically posada will either be they'll take it right from that state and that takes that mill takes the seeds out of it and and the pulp and everything mm-hmm. and it goes through and then you can also cook it just for a couple minutes and then it will then it can be canned or you can just straight can it but yeah, that's that's like the real old school way to do it, the big mill. Now you'll see like, again, you'll see like somebody will whip out a little tiny yeah. mill and they're like, I'm just going to put one can of tomatoes through there, right. which I think is just pointless. I, you know, just open the just can. Just hand crush it at yeah, that point. Just, I mean, if, if seeds are really that important to you, you can go ahead and buy a little mill for yourself. R- with regards to fresh tomatoes, so I know, you know, we... Actually, one of my favorite things to make is just a roasted cherry tomato sauce. Yeah. Um, because I love cherry tomatoes. We grow them in the garden. So they're, you know, once they're in, they're plentiful. Um, I really like taking them, roasting them. And then what I'll do is I'll add it with a little bit of garlic and a little bit of tomato paste and a little bit of splash of white wine. And I'll just make a quick sauce from that. But you've done a few things with cherry tomatoes to make a sauce. Um, I know you did a little bit of a twist on Marcella Hazan's um, tomato butter sauce instead of using regular tomatoes. Yeah, you used the cherry tomatoes, right? So, would you say that there, you know, there kind of is a, a good time to to use fresh tomatoes? Oh, for definitely for that. I mean, and no, fresh tomatoes are really good. I don't want I don't want people to get the wrong idea right. here. I'm just saying for the average person, like you're not going to go to the store and buy fresh tomatoes and get a better sauce than buying a good high quality brand, can brand. You're not gonna do it. You can grow them yourself and you can religiously watch them and pick them at peak, peak uh, ripeness. But yeah, cherry tomatoes are always good because grow them yourself if you can. They're great, they're one of the most economical plant to grow because they're indeterminate and they grow like crazy. You'll get like 800 cherry tomatoes per plant. You need about three uh, pints. And people are gonna laugh when I say pints. You know, people get so mad when we write the pint amount. So in America, tomatoes are cherry tomatoes are always sold by the pint, by the dry pint, always. Is it usually like 12 ounces? A dry pint is about 10 to 12 ounces. Mm-hmm. So because of those comments, and those were coming from non-American people, yeah, I stopped yeah. I stopped listing it now. Now I just list, I just will say like 24 ounces yeah. or, or 30. And I realize that now as our audience has grown, I cannot... I don't want to exclude people like who want, 
it's not it's not a good measurement for me to be saying anyway. Like that was one where I'm like, you know what? They're they're right here. As far as grams, putting grams in cooking recipes, I'm not going to do that, guys. I'm just telling you right now. I do put the grams in there for you in in the description of the video, and I will always put a little disclaimer there saying gram amounts are estimates. Mm -hmm. Now, your if your European mind is probably thinking to yourself, Jim, how can a gram amount Gram amounts should never be estimates. You have to realize Americans don't think in grams. We think in volume measurements. This is how we were brought up. So it's impossible for us to change that. So I estimate the gram amounts for you, but I make certain the volume amounts for right. you. Know, and and to be honest with you, other, some like professional people, cooks and and stuff have commented on this. The American system is still better overall, unless you're cooking like a hundred pounds of something and you need exact weight measurements. But the American system excels because you don't want to, you're not going to be able to weigh herbs, not accurately, unless right. you have an extreme, you know, extreme accurate scale. Yeah. You're not going to be able to weigh a quarter teaspoon of oregano. What is that? Point, yeah. point one, two, five grams. It's yeah. that there's a time and place for these different types yeah. of measurements. It's not all grams all the time. Yeah. I, I agree. I mean, I think when you're cooking, there's certainly more liberties you can take and, and that's where volume I think comes in. Um, I know with our, any of our baking recipes or pizza recipes specifically, we always weigh it because that's where I think I have beef with the American system is, you know, if you're making, if you're making a cake and first of all, different cup measurements are different. Yes. Um, so you'll wind up with like a different thing each time. Whereas if you weigh it, you weigh the amount of flour, you weigh the amount of sugar, you're going to come up with a consistent experience each time. Definitely going to come out with the exact if you weigh it. And, you know, because the reason is if you use a volume measurement, this is more for, I think, for older audience here who you've been, you know, maybe you're in your 60s or 70s and you've been using a volume measurement that whole time. And it's even hard just to grasp around the, the gram amounts. The reason you would do it is because the relative humidity of your room will change. So the size, you know, that can be packed in in the cup for flour, say, will be different because the flour is holding more moisture. Mm -hmm. It's there's, there's a lot of things like this, why grams are better. That all being said, if you walk into any pizzeria, pretty much, that has somebody over 40 making the pizza or over 50, they're not even, they're, not, they're, they're just throwing a bag of flour, they're throwing some, they're yeah. filling up water that's in a jug. Feel. I mean, yeah. it's all by feel. Yeah, It's all by feel, guys. And that's cooking in general. Mm -hmm. Take the science out of it and you start getting really good dishes for mm -hmm. yourself. Put the science in, in a, in a major way, and you're gonna ruin it, and you're gonna ruin your fun. You're not gonna have fun doing it, and then you're not gonna wanna do it. You must be able to master the art, the feel, the taste. Mm -hmm. You have to. Yeah. This is a whole, that, that should be a whole nother that, episode. That could be a whole episode. So Jim, going back to the question that kind of prompted the theme of this episode, this person said that they, they grab Clasco and they don't devote more than 20 seconds to the decision. And, and again, they, they don't understand the passion around sauce. So, you know, they mentioned Classico, that's a jarred sauce. For people who, what are your thoughts on jarred sauce in general? I mean, I know we did a whole series yeah. really of taste testing jarred sauces, but you know, I I tend to believe that if, if you buy a jarred sauce, it's probably out of convenience. 
not necessarily that you're not passionate about good food or making good sauce. In fact, you know, a lot of the comments that we get are from Italian Americans who they are very passionate about their sauce, but they do supplement from time to time with the sauce of their choice. So what are your thoughts on jarred sauce? And, you know, does somebody buying jarred sauce make them less passionate about their own homemade sauce? The commenter definitely seemed to not be too passionate about it. That's the way that that comment implies that I'm not passionate about it. They're all the same. That's mm-hmm. that's definitely not the case in my opinion. Now, we we met with this company, not saying the name. Um, we were supposed to work out like a sponsor deal like for our site. It didn't work out, but I definitely learned some stuff from them. And if what they're saying is true, it's crazy that in Italy, Ital- Italians in Italy, consume more jarred sauce than even Americans do, which I, it blew my mind. I was surprised to hear that too. Because you always, my stereotypical, my stereotypical image of of somebody in Italy is they're making everything from scratch. Mm -hmm. And obviously that's not the case. They're, Italy's modernizing as well. And the people got to pay bills. They got to work. They don't, this isn't like the old country where they can, Go to the market and and you know slave over stuff for hours. They have to they have to work too. And when people work, whether it's in Italy or here in America, they need to make things quicker for themselves. I don't think somebody's less passionate if they buy buy jarred sauce. In fact, I mean specifically on Facebook, people are insanely passionate about the jarred sauce brands that they buy. Now I went into it in in the jarred sauce one. And people, some people took offense to this. They they took great offense that I said Rayos has good marketing. They basically they were saying, Jim, you're implying that I only buy Rayos because they've they've you know they like mind controlled me. The fact of the matter is, guys, that that is true. They did do that to you, and I get mind controlled also by brands. That's just how that's how marketing that's works. What, yeah, that's, that's what marketing the is. Whole purpose of marketing. You're marketed to one hundred percent of the time by companies, but you're marketed in other ways all day long where you don't even realize it. Mm-hmm. Like no doubt when you're listening to this podcast, probably some ad came on in the beginning and probably will come on at the end. Maybe a few come on in the middle that regardless of what platform you're listening to this on, and I don't have any control over that, nor does Tara, you're being told all the time, either explicitly or subliminally, that's that is never going to come out of my mouth the right way. <laughs> Subliminally. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the thing. So, but Rayos has guerrilla marketing almost in the sense that they have an army of people that love their product because, again, you know, the Rayo, Rayos scored number, it was the second highest score in our, in, in, in James and I, who are expert taste testers' opinion. <laughs> um, there's a huge amount of people that love it and they argue all the time and they, show their stash when they, like I joked, when they go to Marshall's and like Marshall's has like a, got like a truckload of it and they're like blowing them out for like $2 a jar. Costco also sells Rayos. Costco does have them. Yeah, yeah and Victoria. And Victoria, which which Victoria was the number one guys and, and Rayos was number two. That was in the first episode. In episode two, uh, Carbone, I, I keep saying Carbone, but everybody's like, it's Carbone. So 
I don't know, guys. I haven't ever, I haven't been there. You know, I'm, I haven't been to this. I haven't been back to the city in in years. That would have been like that. Probably would have been tied with Rayos. But we're probably going to do a winners bracket and and you know compare them all. A lot of people are asking for the winners bracket, so I think we will we will do that. I think that'll be fun. I think it's going to be a ton of fun. I love Tara loves James loves making those videos, so we'll do them. But yeah, getting back to the. Uh, if somebody's less passionate, no, they're they're extremely passionate, uh, I believe. But my greater point in the video was that you are not you're not saving time with a jarred sauce. So it, you have to boil your pasta regardless. Yeah, and you unless have to you heat have up a, the sauce. Unless you have a speed boiler, it's going to take about eight minutes for that water to come to boil. Eight to twelve, depending on how many BTUs you got, and then. The pasta itself, depending on what type you use, is going to take about eight to 12 minutes to boil. So you have about 24 minutes. Mm -hmm. In that 24 minutes, you 100% could make a marinara. Is the savings going to be there? Not not, not great. Not a great savings. I mean, you know, the Rayos and the premium sauces were like seven to $10 at supermarket, supermarket prices. Mm -hmm. So if you're going by supermarket prices, you could grab a high quality brand of those crushed tomatoes for $2.00 or 250 and then you can make it. So then if you have like a family of four and you're doing a pound of pasta, say that's $2 also, you're at 450 plus your olive oil, your basil, whatnot. You're at about $6 total, divide that by four, you have a $1.50 per person for the meal, throw a salad in there, a loaf of bread, you've got maybe another $4 added on there. So maybe you're at $2.50, $3 per person. That's great. If you do, if you do the jarred sauce instead and you still get the bread and salad, you're only a few dollars more per person. So either way, it's fine. Um, I think a lot of people come in with, they come in with the wrong thinking that they that a sauce takes hours to make. Those sauces that, all the ones we tested were just marinara sauces. Right. They were not long cooked Sunday sauces. Mm -hmm. So you're if you're trying to duplicate those sauces, you just have to do what I said, just buy a can of crushed and cook it quickly. It mm -hmm. only takes 15 minutes to cook. So Jim- you know, the, the theme of this episode or the question we were trying to answer in this episode is why are people so passionate about their tomato sauce? And I mean, you know, we just spent about an hour talking about tomato sauce. So clearly we are passionate about it, but why, you know, based on everything we talked about, why is it that you think people are so passionate or why are you yourself so passionate yeah. about tomato sauce? So I we really glossed over it. We didn't devote nearly enough time that we should have to the significance in Italian American culture, popular culture. We really briefly talked about Goodfellas and um, The Godfather, and I, you know I can use personal examples of like family members, friends. When when I was young, you know, you go to the bus stop, and my friend, I'm not. I don't want to use their real names, but like they would my mom makes the best sauce or she's making the bacon sauce tonight or, or and then and then and then his dad was like you know like having a had a like big thing of salami and provolone and is like eating it with his knife and just talking like we're gonna have the sauce in two hours you mm -hmm. know and like that that that's the significance of it the same way that they felt about it was the same way that millions of other people families feel about it too it was it was uh I guess monotonous in the sense that people would have the same meal every Sunday. Like it would pretty much be, Sunday would be reserved for just a variation of Sunday sauce. And as we spoke about in the beginning, like whether it was meatballs or brajol in it, 
for all intents and purposes, it's the same meal. You're just, you're still starting with your sauce. There was a lot of pride in it. A lot of people thought they had the best one on the street. They would, it was a family gathering time. It was when times were better, to be honest with you, than they are now. And I don't know how many people now actually do that Sunday dinner anymore. We didn't get into family at all in this episode, but we do do the family dinners often. And, um, you know, you appreciate that, right? I do. I, for me, it's very important for us to eat dinner together as a family every night. I mean, some nights it's, uh, you know, a little more challenging than others with kids activities and sports and, and whatnot, but it is very important to me that we do that. Um, I think it's a time that we we come together. But, you know, tying back in the, the sauce, I mean, would, something you said kind of resonated with me um, about the Sunday gathering and it being a family affair and, and getting together and eating pretty much the same thing, but maybe a slight variation of it week after week. In my, year after year. Year after year. But honestly, to, to some people, that might sound incredibly boring. But when I hear that, it makes me feel very safe. It's like a safe time. You know what to expect. You know the food's going to be good. You know you're going to be with people that you care about. And it gives you something to look forward to throughout the week. It's like something with, especially nowadays, I mean, every day there's something new kind of being thrown at you. Um, knowing in the back of your mind that you have you're going to have this Sunday gathering with your family and you're going to eat food that you can, you know, that's like tried and true, yeah. I think is a really comforting feeling. So I think if I were to answer the question, why are people so passionate about their tomato sauce? It, it comes down to the fact that it is something that people rely on for comfort um, and look forward to. I think you're spot on. I also think, and I didn't go into this really, the Sunday dinner that we're talking about here, the Sunday sauce, Sunday gravy, the act of all that, getting the loaf of bread, this is not something you get in a restaurant. Restaurants will have it on the menu, but normally when you go to like your typical Italian restaurant, you're getting like penne alla vaca or chicken marsala or chicken piccata or zuppa di pesce or shrimp fra diablo. You're not really going to like a fine restaurant and putting like a napkin in your, in, like, and be like, oh, I'll take up, like I'll have seven sausages, a brajol. <laughs> like that's, that, that's not what, that's not what you do at a restaurant. Yeah. At the restaurant, you know, it's maybe it's a little bit more refined. The meal we're talking about is more reserved for Sunday dinner. And it was a longer meal. Yeah. It would be like, you know, you wouldn't, be, you wouldn't be in and out. It it's multiple courses. Yeah, it wouldn't be, kind of, it wouldn't be yeah. 10 minutes. And I, let me tell you, like I said before, I do miss those times a little bit. I miss that I can't give them to our family like as much as I would want to. And part of that is because we're always doing this type of stuff. And that's a reality. Like me and you are, we live on our computers and we are attached to our tech. I mean, that's how we make our money for better or mm -hmm. worse. That's what we do. And, and by the way, guys, before Tara came into Sip and Feast, she was also tied to her other job and which... I, I always ask her, I always say it to you, Tara, like, are you better off now, like in this scenario, or do you miss your old job? Because you definitely work more hours now. Yeah. We work more hours together than you worked 
at your old place, which was Charles Schwab, right? Financial company. So yeah, I mean, I worked in financial services for over 20 years, um, gave me great experience. In fact, learned a lot, you know, about marketing and even running <laughs> audio webcasts. Um, but no, I mean, yeah, we certainly work more, I, well, I work more hours now than I did in my previous job because we're always on. It's, you know, it is kind of 24 seven, but I do have the flexibility to leave and, and take James to basketball practice, or, you know, I can run up to the school if the kids need me. In my previous world, if I was in a meeting, I wasn't, I mean, with, there was some flexibility there, but I wasn't really able to, to get up and go whenever I needed to. This is totally different. And it's um, certainly liberating. And I will say one thing to this, and I think we can devote more time to this in a future episode, but you know, for a long time, most of my career, I, I would always suffer from the Sunday blues. You know, right around midday Sunday, I would become very, very down and not looking forward to the next day. There has not been one Sunday since I fully joined Sip and Feast that I have experienced the Sunday blues. That's a good thing. Um, I do think, though, that I appreciate everything you said. I do think we can't maybe supply as much of those dinners, Sunday dinners, and taking that longer time for like elaborate dinners as people would think. They think because we just make food for yeah. the website, for the YouTube videos, for yeah. everything else, they think we're eating home-cooked food all the time together and and we're not. We I think we do eat a decent amount of home-cooked food, but yeah, I mean, it's often more in-, in Like we had Chipotle last night. We did, and I love Chipotle. I Because James had what, basketball? He had basketball last night and- you know, it's just sometimes it's it's just the easier yeah. thing to do. But I still stand by like that we always, with very few exceptions, sit down as a family and eat, whether it is something that you've made that I've made or something that, you know, we've gotten from from someplace else. Tying this all together, I think that's the significance of the Sunday dinner, the Sunday sauce for for Italian for the Italian American community. Other you know, different ethnic groups have their own meal too. I think like no matter what you have, if you do that, it's it's really, it's a really good thing. I wish we did more of it. I think people in general, in, when I mean people, I mean like society in general, they, uh, they kind of devalue it now. It's not looked on in the same like way as it once was. But yeah, I do think it's important just to be sharing, breaking bread with your family. Mm -hmm. And that's, People often just did it over Sunday sauce. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. So we're, you know, kind of approaching the end or <laughs> we try and kind of, we want to try and keep this around what hour we're, or so. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that. I would say simply like, we're not going to do a 10 minute podcast. Yeah. We, we don't want, and I know I'm thinking about myself as the average listener. Mm -hmm. I, I hate short podcasts. I'll tell mm -hmm. you why. And I, I, I know you, I'm, I'm telling the audience, yeah. but I, I know I've told you once you get one, you like, it's like, oh, it was only 26 minutes. Mm -hmm. Now I didn't, now what do I, and you're like, your hands are dirty. Say so you're cooking dinner. Mm -hmm. Like what? You got to find another I, one. I can't find anything now. Mm -hmm. So one of my favorite podcasts to listen to is the Lex Friedman podcast. His average episode is three to four hours. 
That, I, don't get any ideas. I don't know how he does all that. I mean, he's got like a whole pr- production crew and all this. Like he's, you know, this is like he interviews the biggest people. He's interviewed like Elon Musk, Mark Zuckerberg. Um, but I love listening to his stuff. And I just, if you know, if I don't complete it, I just keep my spot and I just move, I, I pick up where yeah. I left off next time. He's he's the podcast I listen to that's the longest. Mm-hmm. I don't like podcasts that are 25 minutes. Yeah. yeah. Well, Ours is not 25 minutes, but I think we're still kind of approaching kind of like the the end where we would. Yeah, we're going to do the viewer submitted would, questions, right? Yeah. Thank you to everyone who submitted questions via email um, to podcast at sipandfeast.com. And please continue to to send those questions our way. We're keeping track, um, keeping a log of all the questions and trying mm-hmm. to include as many as we can. And you could also send video questions on Instagram. Since this is also in video form, I would put up, I would put that up yeah. too. But again, as I said in the beginning, you're getting the same exact experience, whether you're watching or just listening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So two of the questions that I've been seeing, not just in email form, but also on videos as comments, um, the first one is, well, how did you and Tara meet? So I don't know if if you want to answer that question, but yeah. it seems like people um, would like to know more about how how we met. And as I answer this question, Tara was just saying, well, Sammy was saying that uh, it's like it's from the Canadian wildfires now. It's like sp- smells and it looks very very ominous outside. So yeah. hopefully that all subsides soon. Hope yeah. everybody's okay with that. Yeah, hope everybody's safe. Yeah scary as far as uh the question where we met how did we meet how did we meet do you remember actually i want to hear you answer it because yeah so (laughs) we met i met tara where i don't remember the first time i ever met her this was at a clothing store oh is that what you wanted me to say well we that is true yeah the first time we actually met was very briefly in a store in the smith haven mall but where we actually met Okay. And developed a relationship. Yes. How did we meet? So we met in Albany. So that's where I went to college. And I uh, had a friend, Angela, and she um, had Tara up for the weekend. I believe I was a sophomore or a junior? junior. We were juniors. We were juniors. Yeah. So we were juniors. Yeah, and I met Tara. And uh, I actually think you had a hoodie on similar to this when I, when I, I met you. I did. It was a gray I, hoodie. I was wearing a gray hoodie and a white tank top underneath. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, you have a yeah. good memory. I still yeah. have that hoodie. I saved it. You still have it? I say there are two articles of clothing in addition to my wedding dress that I've saved. And it's the gray hoodie. And it's also the shirt I was wearing on 9-11. Oh, well, those are both really uh, significant things to save. Where were we? So we were at the Town Tavern yeah. in in Albany, which was on Washington Avenue, which I am almost 100% certain that this, that bar is no longer there. That was that bar was across from Dirty Dan's, which was the burger place you mentioned in yes, the previous and, episode. And I'm referring to the Washington Tavern, not, not WT's, which is also... It's- this wasn't. This was just called the Town Tavern. Okay, no, I'm sorry. WT's for, is Washington okay. Tavern. Okay, so track that back. Mm-hmm. I meant we were at the Town Tavern, which was on Washington Avenue, and then WT's was on Western Avenue, I believe. Maybe. Oh I don't God, know, I, I don't know. Yeah. For all you Albany people, it was a long yeah. time ago when I was there. 
Uh, I don't I don't remember certain. I'm I'm pretty sure though that the nice bar, which is WTs, is still there. But anyway, we met at this really, really, really not nice bar. <laughs> they used to have about a foot of beer in the on the floor at all times yeah. because the floor was like a canoe almost, like the way it was shaped. And I exaggerate a little bit, but not too much. Mm-hmm. And you would definitely not want to be anywhere near the floor in that place. Mm-hmm. And the guys who own that place were, uh, they were like Albany alumni too. So, uh, but yeah, it's, that's an area, Albany, where, where I lived and all those streets, which are dominated by the college kids during the school year. And then, and then basically when the university shuts down, yeah. most of the area shuts down. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so that's that's where we met, the town tavern. I actually, as you know, I like dive bars. That was certainly a dive bar, but it always felt, I always felt very com- comfortable going there. Yeah. Like every fraternity had like a bar that they liked. Yeah. Like there was, all the fraternities are not even there anymore. They're all, they're all like gone. Uh, well, the one I was in anyway is no longer there. But um, we were a nice bunch of boys. Like we weren't like a troublemaking group of people yeah. or anything like that. And uh, yeah, but that's how I met Tara. It was, I mean, it wasn't like, it wasn't anything crazy. No. I, I met Tara there though. And then, then then we started dating. And yeah, so we've been together a very long time. Mm-hmm. We got married when we were 27. Yeah. We are now old. <laughs> that's, no, I mean, you know, as you get older, you never think you're old. Mm-hmm. Like you're like 35 and you go, but then- you get to 45 and then you're like, yeah, I'm not old. No, not that old. So yeah, we're not 45, by the way, guys. I just used that as an example. Not yet. Not yet. Okay. So the other question that a lot of people have been asking, and I think we need to answer, what's the deal with the new kitchen? Did you guys move? So we did not move. This is our house. The kitchen that you are seeing now is an apartment in the house. It's a legal apartment. So we now have that apartment. So now we are using it for to film the videos, which makes things way better for us because it was really, really difficult. You, When you watch a video we make, you only see what we want you to see. So like you're seeing just the frame that I'm showing you. Mm-hmm. There was an amazing YouTube channel called Every Frame is a Painting. It's still there. They stopped producing any videos, but, um, and they would just dissect all different movies like Fargo and just just like ama- just amazing commentary, everything. I digress. But what I mean is simply, I'm showing you my frame. I'm painting my frame for you. Mm-hmm. You don't see the lighting that is, and then our our regular kitchen is a large kitchen. So it's not a nice kitchen. You can actually see that the apartment that we're in now is much nicer, the kitchen. But the kitchen that we were originally filming in is about double or triple the size. So because of that, lighting it was extremely difficult. Mm-hmm. So I would have a huge light over that island. And uh that light, and, you know, it's only an eight-foot ceiling in the kitchen. So with this thing called a softbox attached to it, if you were if you know, if you were five ten or over, you would be hitting your head into yeah. it. So that was only one light, but we also had another light I had to backlight the food mm-hmm. from uh, the B camera. The B camera yeah. simply means is when you're seeing those cuts to the food, not the front on shot of me, 
that that needed to be lit too because you have to light everything if you're not if you don't have natural light the reason you don't use natural light when you're when you're filming you only use natural light if you have like a videographer because then you have to constantly adjust the settings on your camera like you can't film in manual so I'm probably getting a little too into the weeds here with like that stuff but but yeah we had those two big lights people were hitting their heads on I also had another overhead arm for uh, the camera yeah. because often when I was creating videos, I would also ha be doing uh, process shots. I would like let the camera run in, in um, time-lapse mode and I would pull process shots for uh, for the website. So that was the difficulty. Like we, we're not, we don't really consider ourselves YouTubers. A lot of the guys you might, guys and girls you might watch they might just be doing YouTube. So their whole existence is about YouTube. And, you know, I went in the, in episode one, I talked about it, how it's not really a good thing if, for your business because you could be doing really well, but then it could just be a technical error and your whole account could be gone and you could yeah. lose everything. So we always tried to treat the website as number one. So because of that, we would be have to prepare not just a video, but we'd also make a detailed process shot oriented blog post with uh, a recipe card with correct schema data, it's called, for Google. You have to provide this so Google then can show your recipe when people go online and they type in, I want a recipe for a turkey dinner. So it would it would double the amount of time. It would also double the amount of equipment involved because I would have to then take mm -hmm. photos afterwards. I would have a big flash or a strobe. It was ridiculous. And all that equipment, the camera equipment, was being stored in what was our dining room some of it was also being stored in um what was our living room so it, the business was kind of overtaking our living space and for if it was just jim and i i think you know we'd be totally fine with that but because you know our kids wanted to have their friends over and it, you know it was kind of becoming a bit burdensome on, on them yeah to constantly have this equipment everywhere or for you know just they they had less freedom, I and every, should say. Everybody, like you'll read like a lot of news articles about this. They'll say like when they interview kids, what they want to do, they're asked what they want to do. They all say, I want to be a YouTuber. Or I want to be a TikToker. They like say that more than like when we were young, people would say like, I want to be a rock star or, yeah. or a sports player. And I'm not saying that's not true, but what I will tell you simply is that when you do have kids, and I'm not talking like a one-year-old, but when you have like, you know, kids our age, their friends come over and they, some of them, you know, they ask questions or they make the, you know, maybe make your own kids like feel a little self-conscious. They're like, why does your parents have all that stuff in there? What is that? You know? So it was just, it was getting to the point where it was just, we wanted it out. So we were looking at commercial space. We were going to do that. We were going to set up there. Uh, that has positives and negatives. The big negative was because James is highly uh, integrated into the videos as a taste tester. It if we were, even if we were a few miles away, it would, the logistics of getting him there and, you know, he's a kid. He's he's a kid who wants to now dig holes in the backyard and- He wants to play basketball. Play basketball. And, and, and He's telling me like he's gonna make a pool with his friend, like digging dig eight feet down in the ground. I'm like, I'm like James, that's that's insane. You know, like you need, you need, you need a backhoe for that. <laughs> but that's what he permits. wants. He wants to do that. And so like, I can't just like, take them away from that and go, Hey, you gotta go, you gotta go drive to my, to my place and be a taste tester. Mm -hmm. Well, it won't look, it won't look authentic to you guys. You know, he'll be in a, 
like a little bit of a bad mood and yeah. I won't be able to hide it on camera. The camera sees all guys, all. And like I'm an editor and I always say the magic of editing, but you can't edit out if somebody's in a bad mood. You just can't. And mm -hmm. that goes for myself too. Like if I'm not in a good mood, I probably shouldn't be filming that day. Yeah. That's true. You got to be on yeah. all the time. And then because you're on all the time when you're making this stuff, the risk is then when you go outside and somebody sees you in public and you're not smiling or whatnot. So that's another issue. Mm -hmm. This is me being really authentic now and telling you guys like, like about like that. And, you know, we... We don't have a really big YouTube channel, but it's big enough where we get spotted. I think part of the reason why we get spotted is because I think a large portion of our core audience lives here. They're so here. it's like, yeah. it's not like, like, I, you know, you pick any other YouTuber, if they're like just generic food, their, their audience is going to be evenly distributed mm -hmm. through America. But for us, like YouTube provides and and our, for our website, they provide the analytics. It's like 19% New York. Mm -hmm. It's 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 crazy. Yeah. So- yeah. yeah, we had like the pizza lady came to the house and she was like, you're the, you, I know you. Yeah. She's like, you're the pepper and egg guy. And I'm yeah. like, oh God. Yeah. <laughs> the woman at uh, the wine guy recognized you. The wine she made guy, your, yeah. She made your um, chicken pizzaiola. So and then I've the gentleman very, in, uh, in Costco. Yeah. So I'm very careful yeah. now. I'm, I'm like really careful to like try to have like almost kind of like a deer in headlights, like smile on my face at all times, which is not my normal disposition. <laughs> my normal disposition is how every other New Yorker is. Yeah. It's just kind of like, you know. Yeah, you just, you're like head down, you're going where you gotta go and that's doing it. it as quickly as possible. I just want to bring this back to like episode one, how I spoke about Minnesota and said that I could stop a room on a dime with the way I speak. That's the truth. And my accent's not even bad, guys. Like there are people who have way worse, like, like my stepfather-in-law, this guy is like, I mean, like when he talks, like you would, you would think I like, it wouldn't even, I wouldn't even register on like the bad accent meter if you, if you met him. And so many other people sound just like that. We might do a whole episode devoted to this. It's a class thing, guys, why people sound the way they do in New York. Also, it's rare to find anybody under 30 now who has an accent, even if they grew up in the five boroughs. It's a weird thing. I don't know why it's changing. It just is. But as far as Minnesota goes, I don't know. I didn't, I'm not talking bad. I was not trying to talk bad about the people of Minnesota. Like I was just saying how I felt. I felt right. uncomfortable when I spoke. And I think we, we can probably even have a bigger discussion about feeling like a fish out of water as a New Yorker if you're living someplace else. Because we get so many comments from people who have left New York, they've moved somewhere else and they just don't feel um, at home still, even if they've lived there for, for 20 years. So I think we definitely talk about that at a later episode, but yeah, to, to echo what you just said, um, it was it was not the, the, the people in Minnesota, it was really just, I think the way we felt and we were self-conscious of our own voices, although I did have a few people here and there make fun of certain words I'd say. Like, what word did they make fun of? Well, I said the word boss <laughs> <laughs> or tournament, and it's boss and tournament. And also when I went to Caribou, which by the way, Caribou, still my favorite coffee place, chain coffee place. I wish there would open one here in New York because I miss them terribly. But when I would go into Caribou, the first couple of times I would order an iced coffee 
And they looked at me like I had two heads until I finally figured out I had to call it cold brew or completely drop the way I pronounce the word coffee. Um, The and the last thing was the pronunciation of of my name, Tara. Oh, yeah. Well, that that, that hurt the most because you weren't allowed to say your name. Nobody understood what my name was. They thought it was spelled T-E-R-R-A, which it's not. It's T-A-R-A. But it's just the I have like that nasally East Coast pronunciation of Tara. Um, there it was either Tara or Tara. Um, I've it, never heard, I've never heard, and that's the first yeah. time I ever heard it said a different way. I, I knew it was time for us to move back to New York when somebody asked my name and I said Tara. And I said, in, to, in my own mind, I was like, wow, I just mispronounced my own name. It's time yeah. for me. It's time for me to go back. It was really time to go back just for family. (laughs) As far as those like other words like boss and, uh, you know, tournament, I can't, I I was trying even trying to say tournament. Um, Yeah, those are so like, you know, I I think I spoke about that working in the deli when I was young and you would just like typical deli, deli move like to this day, like my brother, like we joke about like when we see like the typical, we call him like deli guy or deli man or deli bro. Yeah. Like you walk into any deli in Long Island and they're like, what do you want, boss? Yeah. What do you want, chief? Yeah. What are you having? You know, like it's (laughs) like things change, but they don't change so much. That's Mm -hmm. like one of the things that will, uh, you know, probably always be the same. And speaking Mm of delis, um, right now, today, when we finish, well, well, after we film the next one, I am going to finish my New York deli potato salad, which every recipe online screws up. <laughs> and I think it's probably the same on the New York deli coleslaw and the Mac salad and stuff. It's mm-hmm. um, So that one's coming soon to Sip and Feast. I guess I can make a video for potato salad, but that would be, I think that would be a little odd. Yeah. I mean, I, maybe I should. We'll see. Thank you for listening. Please leave your questions at podcast at sippinfeast.com. We will see you next time.